Turn to Romans chapter 12. Since I got picked on this morning, I got to pick on one other person. My brother Andy turned 50 this week. <laughs> we won't sing to him. We could sing a dirge, maybe. He's joining the Over the Hill gang. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. It is your spiritual worship. We looked at last week, one phrase. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't be pressed into the world's mold. Stop doing that. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. That will is good, it is acceptable, and it is perfect. Today we talk about change. The fact, the truth. You think you're perfect. Everybody else isn't, but you know, I'm okay. No? The fact is, God's purpose is to change you. transform you. Next week we'll talk about the process, how God does it. Today we look at his will. Now, as we begin, before we pray, I want you to take your Bible and I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 5. And I want to use this as a preface to our prayer this morning. You know, when I pray before my message, I'm not praying just to catch my breath for a minute so I'm ready to go. Our prayer, as we begin to preach, is got an intentional purpose. And that is to entrust this time in the Word to the Lord. Um, it's important very important thing that we do. And then when we pray at the end, again, it's not just like so the musicians can get up here. Kind of a break in the action. Station break. Very important to bring our time to conclusion. Asking God to do, to accomplish in us what we studied. In 1 John chapter 5, in verse 13, there's a very important verse. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. I want you to know that. that you have eternal life. That's what we were studying in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. This whole plan of salvation. But where I want to draw your attention to now is after having said that, he says this, and this is our confidence. 
This is our confidence toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, when we ask according to his will, we know that we have the requests we asked of him. If we ask anything according to his will. Today we talk about God's will. It is good, it is acceptable, it is perfect. We don't always understand and know every intricate detail of God's will in our life as it is unfolding. And sometimes we're having trouble discerning what God's will is in a certain decision. And we're praying, we're asking, we're seeking. So sometimes there's kind of this step of faith that we are taking as we are discerning his will. Sometimes we know what God's will is, right? So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says to us, this is my will for you in Christ Jesus. Be thankful for everything. Pray without ceasing. This is my will. When I gripe and complain, I'm not in God's will. Right? I know that then. Because what is his will? Be thankful. When we study these verses today, I think we can very, very, very safely say God's will is to change us. And if we ask him to, if that's his will, and I think we can very safely say it is, if we ask him to change us, What does he say in this verse we can be confident he will do? Hear us and give us what we ask for. But I'll tell you something. If you ask him to change you, he probably won't use the method you want. Mark that down. Is change hard? Yes. But is it worth it? Yes. So, I double dog dare you. While we pray, you pray. You say to God, change me. Let's pray. Lord, it is scary to us to be honest with you. We like to cloak our problems behind our veneer. You know us. You know me. You live with me every moment of every day. I cannot go from your presence. And neither can any of these, your dear people.
despite our fears, we say to you, change us. Because we know you are good. And although you may prescribe things that we don't like, we know that you are working everything for good to those who love you, to those who are called. So I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Go to Romans chapter 12. We're talking about change. Do not be conformed to the world. We talked last week about being a thermometer or being a thermostat. Don't be pressed into the world's mold. And we talked about the word world, and we laid out the three meanings of that in the Scripture. That will come back a little bit into the message today when we think about this. The word world can mean the planet, it can mean the people, or it can mean the pride, the system that undergirds all that. When he's talking here, he's not saying don't love the planet. He's not saying don't love people. He's saying don't love the system of the world, the values, the lusts. Don't be conformed to that, but be transformed. By renewing your mind so you may discern. These phrases are all going to be very important what the will of God is. And then he gives us three descriptions of the word. The word transform is interesting. I said God wants to change us. Now, God wants to change us, but this word is an important word he chose. It's a Greek word from which we get an English word, metamorphosis. That's an important word. What is metamorphosis? I used this picture before when we were talking about Israel. This is metamorphosis, isn't it? Caterpillar, cocoon, pupa, butterfly. That's not the only animal that goes through metamorphosis. What's the other one? I remember when I was a kid growing up in Pennsylvania, we didn't have clear crystal streams like Wyoming. We had stinky, stagnant puddles. And there was always tadpoles in them. And I remember as a little kid running around in my raggedy jeans and catching tadpoles, you know, and putting them in a miracle whip can and trying to see, you know, and then they get their legs and, you know, and all that stuff, the tail falls off if they live long enough, and then they're a frog. Tadpole frog. Metamorphosis. What is metamorphosis? Okay, so in the animal kingdom, it is a series of stages that certain creatures go through in their journey from birth to adulthood. And so what it really is, is it's a process of maturation. Now, as you mature... Things change, but you don't lose a tail and grow legs, right? Process of maturation is different 
in human beings according to God's plan. This is a process of maturation. It's very important we understand that. And so these kind of creatures that God created, it's amazing all the detail and intricacy in the creation of God. And these creatures are a type of creature that we can watch go through certain stages of development, a process of maturation. It's not evolution. It is maturation. Okay, so that's animal kingdom. And so every being in the animal kingdom that goes through metamorphosis begins as an egg. It then goes to the larva stage, which would be the caterpillar. And then the pupa, which would be the cocoon. And you don't see anything happening during that stage because you can't see it. Right? It's locked away. Kind of like it went back to being in the egg. And then the cocoon breaks like a chick coming out of an egg. And here you got the butterfly. So you have egg, larva, pupa, adult. These are the stages of maturation and metamorphosis in the animal kingdom. And God takes this word and he transposes it onto his word and says, this is how I want to change you. So what does that mean? I think there's something very fundamental we have to understand here. As we think about this word today, and it is this, we're talking about transformation. These are not just slight changes or tweaks to you. When we're talking transformation, we are talking about something that's radical, that is drastic, that's revolutionary. We're talking caterpillar, butterfly. This isn't like going to the chiropractor and getting an adjustment. That's a tweak. This is like getting your head cut open and getting your brain taken out and put in. This is something major. He could have used a word here to change in the Greek language and just say, don't be conformed to this world. Be changed. Be tweaked. Holy Spirit didn't say that. Holy Spirit said what? Be transformed. Now, that word is used in two other places in the New Testament. We'll look at one next week, but I'll mention one today to understand the transformation here. Jesus is on a mountain with several of his disciples. He is in prayer, and they fall asleep. They wake up. This man that they knew very well, who had calloused hands, rough-hewn, bark-on, tough guy, carpenter, dirty feet, climbed a mountain. 
grimy clothes, probably. I mean, didn't just come out of Macy's. Been sleeping in the hills. No bathtub, no shower. It's like being on a pack trip with Jesus. This man, they wake up. His radiance is stunning. He is in garments that are so white they can barely look upon it. And the scripture says he was transformed for them. Now that was his physical body. God's not saying he's going to give you a new body here, just go to the gym, you know, get it better. No. Don't go to the gym. Keep, keep it up. Take care of this body. I'm not saying that. He's not here talking about transforming this clay. He's talking about something happening much deeper. And it's the way you think. Please understand something. Just because you think it doesn't mean it's reality. We skew things. We twist things. We look at things through our own experiences and the own lens of our life. Many of those thoughts are embedded in our minds by the experiences we've had, the people we've met, the places we've been, the teaching we've had. And God is telling us He wants to transform the way you think. And I'll submit to you that if your thinking is changed, everything else changes with it. That this is fundamental. That's why he goes there. But notice this. God does not just want to tweak your inner life. He wants to transform it. How does that happen? Metamorphosis. Now, we think about change, I think about change. The older I get, the less I like to change. Right? I like to be stuck in my rut. Excuses we make. I can't help it. Why did I just blow up at that person? I can't help it. It's just me. This is the way I am. How many times have you given that excuse to God or to others for how you treat people? It's just me. Affirm me. This is who I am. 
I'm a playing a role play here. I'm a homosexual. This is who I am. Affirm me. I can't change. Oh, really? Oh, really? I don't care what issue we're talking about here. We throw this excuse out all the time. And you know what it does? It's like a direct short on the currency of God's power in electric fence. Our excuses are. I just can't. Here's another one. How about this one? You don't know what I've been through. You haven't lived my life. You didn't have my dad. I didn't. People make this excuse all the time. Our experiences make us who we are, and this is just who I am. I can't change. Oh, really? Oh, really? It's just too hard to change. It's just too hard. I got to wear for the rest of my life this badge. I'm a alcoholic. Oh, really? I don't think so. I think that badge can go away, and you can be a Christian and say, I got victory over it. My dad was once an alcoholic. I never heard him say to me, I'm an alcoholic. When he got the victory over that, that was not his identity. You don't have to wear that badge the rest of your life. I don't care what the badge is. Now, why do we do that? We're, we're trying to make an ex- You know, go there. I'm really not that bad. It's another excuse. I'm really not that bad. I don't really need to change. It's everyone else's fault. I responded that way because you did that to me. And we make excuse. We make excuse for ourselves all the time. I have never talked to somebody, ever, about a sin that they have struggled with, that they did not have a mentally prepared, self-justifying reason for why they did what they did. I've never committed a sin knowingly that I did not have a good reason in my mind why it was a good thing to do. Ever. That's the power of our depraved human nature, right? We make excuse. We got to quit doing that. We have to start owning our junk and say, God, this is who I am. Change me. Owning your junk and me owning my junk is the first step to God changing us.
Until we do that, we're just a caterpillar. When we start owning the junk, we're not a butterfly the next day. Where do we go? The cocoon, where all the change happens. But as long as you go through life with self-justifying reasons to explain to yourself and others why you are the way you are, God will never make you what he wants you to be. Start here. No excuses. No excuses. What's next? It is God's will that we be transformed. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we studied this verse. He said what? We know... That God is at work in everything for the good of those who love him. To those who have been called according to his purpose. And those whom he called, he predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his son. Now God made each of us as a unique human being. And you have individual talents and abilities, desires... And God's not just trying to push us all through the same mold so we're all exactly the same robot. God wants to use your unique talents and gifts and abilities and desires, those that he gave you, but he wants to radically transform them into a conformity to the person of his son so that we become like Christ. And as that is happening, we see in this verse, we then can discern what his will is. And we can discern what his will is because we know his word and we have a renewed mind. So let's talk about the will of God for a minute here. The will of God. I told you earlier in the message it is God's will to transform us. God has very distinct desires. God's not just sitting up in glory, watching things happening in your life or mine or in the world, and not have a goal. Moral quality of God's will. It is good. (coughs) Excuse me. Its moral quality is it is good. What does it produce? It's fruit. It is pleasing. And what is its goal? Perfection. Completion. (coughs) This will be a station break. I gotta get a drink. It's And so its goal is to bring us to perfection. So these are three elements of these adjectives we need to understand. We see here God's will is good. It is then acceptable. The fruit of it is it is pleasing. And its goal is to bring us to perfection. 
Now, jump back with me in your mind to last week. We looked at this verse. 1 John 2, 15-17. Do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, the Father's love is not in him. For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's lifestyle is not from the Father. It is from the world. That world system, the pride of the people who inhabit the planet. And the world, with all of its lusts, is passing away. But the one who does God's will remains forever. So here again we see God's will. The world's lusts are passing, they're decaying. God's will causes us to remain forever. Now notice that, because let's go somewhere. And then we'll bring this to a conclusion. Let's think about will, desire. God's will is what? Good, pleasing, complete. The world's will is what? Evil. It brings misery and it fractures. So God's will brings us to completion. God's will brings us to wholeness. The will of the world destroys, fractures. Why do I put that contrast up this morning? Because I want us to think about this. Why is God's will good? Because God is good. His character is. God's not going to ask you to do something that is evil. No. Why? Because that's not his character. God's character is he is good. And he is good all the time. He is a good God. That doesn't just mean he's good to you like he pats you on the back and he gives you everything you want. Doesn't mean That's not the way we're defining good when we say God is good. We're saying God is good. His moral quality, the essence of who he is, is he is good. The world is what? Evil. I'm not just talking, we're not talking about people. We're not talking about the planet. We're talking about a fallen world, but we're talking about the system. That this world desires evil. It is its will. That will of the world will bring what into your life? Misery. The good will of God, when you are thankful for everything and in everything, and you are praying with all those things, and you are fulfilling the will of God in your life, and you are living His will, it causes you to live in what? A state of pleasure. Oh, there's pleasure in sin, but it is only for what? A season, it says in Hebrews 11. And then comes what? The misery. Just go ask Samson. Just go ask Samson. You remember the story? All the pleasure in Philistia. Until the bill came due. And his eyes were burned out. His hair was cut. And he was chained to a mill. Misery. So the world's will is evil and it brings misery. And that misery brings what? Fractured lives. 
will of God is good. It brings joy. It brings peace. It brings harmony. And it brings you to wholeness. Completeness. Now, the further we get, now this, this, is not, this is not rocket science here, okay? Look at cultural indicators since 1960s. The more we call evil good and good evil, what have we gotten more of in society? Misery and fractured lives. That's not rocket science. It's right in the book. The more, listen, and we're closing with this, the more we conform our life to God's will, which is good, you will find your life not that all your problems are removed. Not that God gives you everything you want. But you will find joy and you will find peace. And you will come to wholeness. Discern that. Now, here's where we close. The Word of God and the will of God are inseparable. If you want to know God's will, you want to discern God's will, this is where we go next week, the renewing of your mind. What are you renewing in? The Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is, it is literally breathed from God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for, inc- for instruction in righteous correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Word of God and the will of God are inseparable. How can a young man take, cleanse his way? By trying harder. How can a young man cleanse his way? Psalm 119. By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart I have sought you. You don't just seek the word, you seek God in the word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hidden in my heart. I might not sin against you. Why? Because when I know your word, I know your will. Know that when I know your word, I know your will. Let's close. We thank you, Jesus, that you have given us your word. There are many people on this planet that don't have this book. We do. And you will hold us accountable. We pray again that you would change us, not just so we're better people and we get along better, but so you are glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand together as we sing a closing song?
Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.